Well, good morning, New Life Church. Good to see so many people back from the holidays. Welcome back. Uh, if you turn with me to um, the letter of John, not the Gospel of John, the first epistle of John, right at the back of the, the Bible. So we've just finished the series through the Ten Commandments. Um, and I chose this specifically as my first preaching series here at New Life Church because it's such a practical way to present the gospel. Uh, and we learned that the law does not save us. In fact, the law condemns us. And we cannot keep the law, no matter how moral or how good we are or our families are. And as Scripture tells us in, in James chapter 2, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all. And if we say we are without sin, then in essence we are calling God a, a liar. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, if it had not been for the law, he would not have known what sin was. For it was the law, the law, sorry, for he would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. And that is true for all of us. That is true for all of us. And the series through the, the Ten Commandments reminded us of the holiness of God and, of course, the, the sinfulness of man. And uh, it helped us to understand how God defines sin. So in many ways, the series was confrontational um, as we were exposed to our own sins in the light of a, of a holy God. And there was, there was some negative feedback as some people were, were not really willing to examine their own hearts or allow the, the Holy Spirit to lead them to conviction and, and repentance. And, and that was expected. And that was expected. But for the majority, there was a very positive response, I feel. Uh, many people shared how the Lord had been dealing with them about certain areas of their, their lives and even how some people had come to faith as they saw their need to be saved from, from their sins. And the, and the wrath of God. So we are very grateful for that. But the series we are starting today in, in 1 John, I'm convinced, is a good follow-up from the Ten Commandments. And our focus is going to be on the Christian life. And we want to consider how true Christians are manifested by what they believe and, of course, how they relate to one another in the world and by how they Live, And I want to show you how our belief will always affect our behavior. And I'm going to repeat that often. And whether we're 10 years old or whether we are 100 years old. Um, but the letters of John not only give us a glimpse of what church life was at the end of the first century. Um, they not only give us an insight into some of the struggles that, that um, they experienced by local churches in, in Asia Minor at the time of this letter... Um, and it was around about um, where Ephesus was at the end of the, the first century. But it's very practical for us today as well. Um, this letter deals with the very important contemporary issues and the issue of the, the Christian life, how we are to live our Christian life. Um, and particularly how, how we deal with Christian assurance, uh, our Christian identity. Now, what does it mean to be a Christian? Now, what does a Christian look like? How can you tell a Christian from someone who is just professing the name Christ? And how do you go about getting that assurance 
if you are in Christ, that, that you are truly trusting in Christ, that you have a saving relationship with Christ. And these are important questions that every Christian deals with. But John addresses just these kinds of, of issues. And today we're going to start this study through the, the letter of John. It's really a diagnostic for us. It's a diagnostic for those of us who call ourselves Christians. And so please pray with me as we go through the series that the Lord will teach us and the Lord will grow us and that He will answer these questions that we have um, in our walk with the Lord. So John chapter, sorry, 1 John chapter 1, we're just going to look at the first four verses this morning, if you will follow with me. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, Jesus, for preserving Your Word for us. We thank You for inspiring Your Word, using the words of these apostles, the, the thoughts of these apostles, the inspiration, their personalities to be bringing your word to us today. Lord, we know that this is profitable for us. It is profitable for correction. It's profitable for our instruction. It's profitable for our growth in righteousness. And Lord, that's what we want to do. I pray that is everybody's desire here today, that they want to grow into Christ, that they want to be more like Christ. They want to be filled more with Christ. And we see, Lord, that this fellowship brings joy. This fellowship brings a, a, an abundant joy. So I pray, Lord, that our lives would reflect that and we would be characteristic of a, of a life of joy because of our fellowship with Christ. So teach us this morning, and I pray, Lord, if there are those who, who are not saved, that they would, would see their, their need to have Christ as their Lord and King. So, Lord, we pray that you're quiet in our hearts now. We're thankful, Lord, that we can come together and enjoy each other's company and fellowship once again. But I pray, Lord, that you would quiet in our hearts as we study your word now. And teach us, Lord. Teach us what you want us to learn. And that we would be willing to submit to these teachings again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in these letters, John is writing to Christians, Christians who've been troubled by false teachers. So Satan, from the very beginning, has tried to weaken and, and destroy the church by making them doubt, making the people doubt, and of course, depart from the, the Word of God, depart from the, the Scriptures. And the false teachers were advocating that, that doctrine is not important. Doctrine is not important. And one of their mottos might have been, 
Doctrine divides, but experience unites. And they were trying to produce the idea that it wasn't really that important what we believed about Jesus as long as we, we call ourselves Christians. And unfortunately, that same type of mantra is still in here in our day and age today. And John writes to address this problem right there in the, the early church. And many of these false teachers were suggesting that we need to rethink what the church was teaching about Jesus. What the church was teaching wasn't necessarily true. That's what they were suggesting. And John writes to address this problem. And many of the false teachers were suggesting that there were other ways to true knowledge of God other than through Jesus Christ. And they were teaching a, a Gnostic view, a Gnostic philosophy, a secret knowledge that we need to have in order to know God without Jesus Christ, which of course was false teaching, which was heresy. And look what he says here in verse 1 and in, in verse 2. John basically says, look, I knew Jesus. I touched him. I saw him. I heard him. I know who he was. I know who he is. I know what he taught. And I'm reinforcing that with you today. That's what he's, he's teaching this church. And I want you to be confident in what we have said is the message from Jesus himself. This wasn't a message that the apostles had made up. This was the message from Jesus himself, the very person of Jesus. I touched him. I handled him. I laid my, my head on his chest. He spoke to me, and he called me his beloved apostle. You can be confident in what I'm saying is true, is from the Lord. And as I see it from the first four verses of this letter, John is talking about really just two things, biblical fellowship and biblical joy. And fellowship we see there mentioned in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you also that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The word is mentioned twice there in one verse. And fellowship is one of those biblical words that have sadly lost its meaning. And we think fellowship is around coffee, it's around tea, or it's around a, a meal. You know, and there's nothing wrong with, with having um, meals together. We had one last night. The potluck. But this is not necessarily even, even sinful. But this is not the, the biblical definition of what fellowship is. And the literal meaning of fellowship is to have something in common. And the Greek word for fellowship, as we see here in verse 3, is koinonia. And the koinonia literally means partnership, participation, partnership. Or socially, it means interaction. Or it means to communicate, to have communion with each other. And we see a wonderful example of this word in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, in verse 9 to 12, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. 
Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevails against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The threefold cord is, of course, the Lord and the, the partnership that you've made. Three are, are much more stronger than, than one. And perhaps you've heard the story of the father who was trying to teach his three stun, sons that, that unity is strength. And when he was about to die, he called his three sons to his, his bedside and he handled them a, a bundle of twigs. And he asked them to break this, this bundle that was bound together. And his eldest son tried with much effort and he failed. And of course, the second son tried and he failed and the third son as well. And then he called all three of them near and he gave them the twigs separately from the bundle. And of course, without much effort, they were able to break the, the twigs one by one. And then the father explained his, his object lesson. He said to the sons, if you are united as the bundle of, of wood is united, nobody can separate you. Nobody can break your fellowship. No force can overcome. But if you live separately, if you live separate lives without that unity, you will be broken very easily. And so the lesson for the church is true. The principle is the same. But it is the church of of Jesus Christ that we're talking about. And of course, there are different types of fellowship that we see in, in Scripture. You know, there's fellowship with God, there's fellowship with, with Christ, there's fellowship with the Holy Spirit, there's even fellowship with believers. But there's also fellowship with the wicked, the Bible talks about. And here in the Scripture, it's talking about fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. And that is my, my first point this morning. Fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. And we see this in the last part of, of verse 3. It says, Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So this koinonia, this koinonia is a personal experience of sharing something significant in common with other people. It's the pleasure of being in a group when you see eye to eye on, on things that really matter. It's having similar values and responding with the same kind of affections to what really counts. But we cannot have fellowship with each other. We cannot enjoy the same experience of sharing. And we cannot have the pleasure of seeing eye to eye on what really matters unless we have fellowship with God first. Unless we have fellowship with God first. Now Warren Wiersbe, he says, As sinners we have nothing in common with the Holy God. But God in His grace sent Christ to have something in common with men. Christ took upon Himself a human body and became a man. And then He went to the cross and took upon that body the sins of the world. And we looked at that last week. We looked at the incarnation of Jesus Christ, how He became flesh and dwelt among us. And when we trust Christ, when we trust His work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, we have fellowship with God. But that doesn't come without that faith, without that trust, without that belief in God. 
and all who are saved by grace have this in common. We have this fellowship. No matter what our background is, no matter what culture we come from, no matter what country we come from, and no matter our age group, we have this fellowship in common. And of course, the question this morning we need to ask each other is, we need to ask ourselves is, do we have this fellowship? Do we really have this fellowship? You know, just coming to church doesn't mean we have this fellowship. Just coming to church doesn't mean we enjoy this fellowship through Jesus Christ. We might have something in common, maybe a, maybe a rugby team, maybe a cricket team, maybe a football team. But that doesn't necessarily mean we have this fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is, is trying to emphasize, sorry, the, the Apostle John is trying to emphasize here with the, the early church. Christ came into this earth as a human, incarnate. He made himself the friend of tax collectors. He made himself the friend of sinners. And he offered his fellowship to, to any who would be willing to put their faith in him. To any. Jew, Gentile, Greek, male, female. If they would put their faith in him. And of course, we can't have fellowship with Jesus if we don't trust him. So the rest of this letter really is, is, is useless if we're going to try and live a Christian life without having fellowship with Christ, without trusting in the very work of Christ, without trusting in the very literal ministry of, of Christ. Do we believe this? Or is this just a, a fable that, that you think is for people who want to believe other things that are, that are not scientific. But do we believe this? In 1 John chapter 2, if you turn there with me, in chapter 2 verse 23, John says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father also. So if you do not trust Jesus... You have fellowship not... Sorry, if you do trust Jesus, you, you don't only have fellowship with, with Jesus, but you also have fellowship with God the Father. And that's how we get to God, is through Jesus Christ. In order to come to earth as a human and die like a, a common criminal for the, the sins of the world, Jesus had to be incarnated. And as difficult as it is to, to understand, we need to believe that. God was man and he was God at the same time while he was on this earth. But what about, what about my friends who, who have other faiths? Maybe you'll ask that question. What about my, my Hindu friend? He's very moral. He's very good, but he doesn't believe that. Now, what about my, my religious Muslim neighbor? He doesn't believe that. Are you telling me that he's not going to have... He's not going to heaven. He's not having a relationship with God because he doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. I remember a trip that we took to visit the grave of William Carey in Calcutta, India. And if you don't know who William Carey was, he was a, a famous British missionary who ministered in Calcutta for 41 years um, without taking one furlough. And this was during the 1800s. It was 
a pioneer missionary work. He translated the Bible into many different languages, and he founded the, the Serampur University and um, Seminary. It was the first university to offer degrees in the whole of, of India at that time. But while we were at the university, we visited the seminary, and uh, the seminary still teaches theology there to, to this day. And there's a small museum with um, historical artifacts which were very interesting to look at. But while we were there, we came to learn that the Archbishop of Canterbury was visiting and was giving a lecture in one of the, the main halls. If you don't know who the Archbishop is, he is um, a British Protestant version of the Pope. Okay? Um, so off we went to hear the Archbishop speak. And at the end of the lecture, he opened up the floor for a time of questions and, and answers. And I remember, of course, the media was there, um, listening to everything that he was saying, recording everything that he was saying. And one of the students that were studying there asked him this question. He said, John 14, verse 6, says, Jesus is the only way to God. Do you believe this? And what a wonderful opportunity to share the the plain and simple gospel. And this all being recorded. And this is, this is how he answered. He says, John 14, verse 6, doesn't say Jesus is the only way to God. What it says is Jesus is the only way to communicate with God. So you can get to God through many other ways, many other religions, but only Jesus offers communication access to God. Now that's a complete complete heresy. That's false teaching. It is a lie from the devil. There is no other way we can have communion with God unless it is through Jesus Christ. Unless it is through the incarnated Son of God. We have fellowship with God by direct communion with Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 tells us, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and man. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. Ephesians 2 verse 18 tells us, For through Him we both have our access in one spirit unto the Father. And of course, John 14 verse 6, where Jesus Himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And so there in 1 John chapter 2, those verses that we just read in verse 23, whoever denies the Son, the same does not have fellowship with the Father. That's very dogmatic, but it's what the Scriptures teach. If you deny Jesus Christ as the man who was incarnated and died on that cross and resurrected from the grave in order so that you could have eternal life, you cannot have fellowship with God. You cannot have fellowship with God. And this truth is so important that we need to confirm this, of course, as a, as a prerequisite for even membership in our, in our own church. Do we believe in the incarnation of Jesus Christ? We cannot be members of even the universal church of God unless we believe this very important doctrine. If we do not believe that faith in Christ alone is the only way to heaven, then we will not get to heaven. 
John Piper, he illustrates this truth with a, with a, with a story here. He says, the stumbling block is that if the doctrine is true, every single person in the world must obey this one particular Jewish man. He says, everything he says is law. Everything he did is perfect. And the particularity of his work and word flow out into history in the form of a particular inspired book written in Greek and Hebrew. And it claims universal authority over every other book that has ever been written. This is the stumbling block of the incarnation. When God becomes a man, he strips away every pretense of man to be God. We can no longer do our own thing. We must do what this one Jewish man wants us to do. We can no longer pose as self-sufficient because this one Jewish man says we are all sick with sin and must come to him for healing. We can no longer depend on our own wisdom to find life because this one Jewish man who lived for 30 obscure years in a little country in the Middle East says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is how important this doctrine of the incarnation is. It's really what our faith hinges upon. We cannot have fellowship with God unless we believe in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. My second point this morning is fellowship with God through Jesus Christ as a result of biblical doctrine. Biblical doctrine. Look at verse 3, the second part of verse 3. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, Warren Wesby, in his commentary, he says, If a man is wrong about Jesus Christ, he is wrong about God. Because Jesus Christ is the final and complete revelation of God to man. As mentioned earlier, John was writing this letter to the early church because they were going through confusion that was being spread by the the false teachers at that time. And of course, they were telling lies about Jesus Christ. They were telling people that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just fainted. And of course, he was put into a tomb and he walked out of the tomb. He wasn't really dead. And they were speaking all of these, these Pelagian type of lies. False philosophies. Of course, John was addressing these issues. In 1 John chapter 4, turn there with me, 1 John chapter 4, in verse 2, in verse 3, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. False teaching was such a serious matter during that time. And even in our day and age today, you know, John the Apostle, he, he wrote about it in his second letter as well. And he was warning believers not to even invite false teachers into their homes. And he makes it plain that to deny that Jesus is God is, is to follow the lies of the Antichrist. You know, Trinity, 
Let's talk about that for a moment. The Trinity that's been attacked since the beginning of the church. John mentions the Trinity in his letter. The Father he talks about. The Son he talks about. The Holy Spirit he talks about. First John chapter 4, look at verse 2. We just, we just read that. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. The Trinity is mentioned there in, in, in that verse. In one verse, all three persons of the Godhead mentioned. And again, in chapter 4, look at verse 13 to 15 there. Another statement that mentions the, the, the Trinity, the triune God. Christians do not believe that there are three gods. And that's what our, our Muslim friends would want us to believe. That we, we worship three idols. We don't do that. We don't believe that God reveals himself in three different ways, like our, our Hindu friends suggest. We believe that there's one God that exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A word of warning here. And I'm going to mention names because that's what the Apostle Paul did. But Benny Hinn is a false teacher. He, he is an antichrist. He publicly taught from his pulpit, and you can search his website for this. He taught that there are actually nine people in the Trinity. Nine people in the Trinity. Not three, nine. That's a false teaching. And as the Apostle John says here, he is an antichrist. He teaches against the doctrines of Christ. Another false teacher is, is T.D. Jakes. He's, he's often referred to as Bishop T.D. Jakes. And T.D. Jakes, he also denies, he does not believe in the biblical teaching of the, the Trinity. He teaches that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit do not refer to distinct persons, but to different modes of, of existence of a single person. So in other words, he denies that there are three distinct per people that make up the Godhead. He believes that God cannot exist in more than, than one mode at a time. You know, I'll give you an example. Similar to a, a man who comes home and um, he puts on his hat as a, as a father and a husband. And then when he goes to work, he puts on his hat as a, as a businessman. And when he's with his parents, he puts on his, his hat as a, as a, as a son. This is called modelism. It's not what the Bible teaches. God is not just one person revealed in, in three different ways. There are three distinct people in the Trinity that make up the, the Godhead. That's what the Scriptures teach. So we need to be careful of these people that we think we have fellowship with that are not on the same page as the apostles, as the apostles here in the Scriptures. There cannot be fellowship among people who do not share the same biblical view of Jesus Christ. And shared biblical doctrine is the basis of Christian fellowship. And this is important for us. As a church, we come from different continents, most of us. We come from different churches. We come from different cultures. But we have to believe the same doctrines if we are going to have biblical fellowship. And that's why it's so important that we are learning the Scriptures together. It's so important that we study the Scriptures 
together. It's one of the reasons we're having Friday school in the next couple of weeks. So we can study the scriptures together. I hope you will take advantage of that and come to the Friday classes. It's another reason why we have home groups. So that we can study the scriptures together. I hope that you will join the home groups during the week. You know, one hour a week, hearing the word of God is not enough. Think about what the world is teaching you and influencing you with all those other hours of the day, of the week. We need to be together studying the scriptures as much as we can. So that we can have a shared biblical doctrine that is grounded in the Christian teachings of who Jesus Christ is. My third point this morning, of course, if we believe the same doctrines, we have fellowship with each other through Jesus Christ, then we will be proclaiming Jesus Christ. If we have this fellowship, we'll be proclaiming Jesus Christ because of our fellowship with God. Look at verse 3 again in the beginning. In verse A, sorry, verse 3, the first part. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. So we see another thing here. We see that the purpose of John's preaching and the purpose of the apostles' proclamation was that we would have the true fellowship that is a shared life together in, in Christ. And he explains the purpose. And it was for the creation of a fellowship between brothers and sisters in Christ in, in which we are to share life. We are mutually committed. We are mutually accountable to each other. You know, we believe the same truth. We are committed to the same goal, to the same mission. We are in love with the the same Savior. We are in love with the same King. We are trusting the same God. And we are proclaiming the same gospel. That is so important. We proclaim this so that you may have fellowship with us. Of course... Satan is very cunning, and he has influenced the church with all these other false gospels that they are now proclaiming in the name of Jesus, but it's not in the name of Jesus. But notice there what the, what the Apostle John says, that you may have fellowship with us. This is a plural word. It's not a, a singular word. Us. He's talking about the apostles. The plurals, the apostles, having fellowship with them so that you may have fellowship with us. And the only way that you can have fellowship in the church is to believe what the apostles have taught about Jesus Christ. And he's saying that when you embrace these things, you have fellowship with us. When you believe what we have taught about Jesus, then you have fellowship with, with us. And you are part of the body of Christ. Remember in Acts chapter 2, when the early Jerusalem church was, was being formed? Remember what was, was written there in verse 42? The church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship 
into the breaking of bread and in prayers. That fellowship is all hinged on the apostles' teaching. They weren't gathering together to recite the the poetry of of Aristotle and, and Plato and all these other philosophers. They were there because they agreed on the apostles' teaching. And this proclamation creates a a fellowship that is united to the authority of the Scriptures. We're not united because of our different views or one particular view. We are united because of the authority of the the Scriptures. We are accountable to each other because of the, the Word of God. We are committed to the Apostles' teachings. And so the goal of the proclamation was not just so that the people would pray a prayer or so that they would make a decision. The goal of this was so that they would be part of a local body. They would be united to a a local body. They would be united to a faith family and become part of the, the larger body of Christ as they hold themselves accountable to each other in the the local body of Christ. And in this body, they would share life together. They would share their struggles together. They would share their joys together. And that's how God had designed it right from the very beginning. And Apostle John is really just protecting the church and reminding them of the basics, of the basics. And right there at the end of verse 4, he tells them the goal He says it's not just about having the right doctrine. He says not just the truth. He says it's the joy that the truth produces. It's the joy that the truth produces. And I know for some people the word doctrine is an ugly word. Oh, that's too difficult. That's too technical. Please, let's just just love each other. Well, we cannot love each other biblically unless we share the same faith unless we are all on the same page as the apostles are calling us to be. And he tells us, if we are doing this, it's the truth that will produce this joy. And of course, during this time, when John wrote this letter, it was a very dangerous time for the the early church. There were lots of false teaching that was going on. There There was a crisis of the truth at that time. And John had a purpose here in telling them it's not just, not just saying you, you're following truth. There's joy that is produced from the, the truth of the Word of God. Listen to what Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, verse 11. Remember, he's at the upper room with his disciples. This was the, the last supper that he was having with them. And listen to the last words that he, that he shares with them. These things I have spoken to you. What things? His doctrines, his teachings. I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Remember the same night before Jesus was crucified, he said in, in John chapter 16 verse 22, your joy no man takes away from you. I mean, try and 
remember the, the context in which Jesus said that. He's going to be crucified that same, that same night. That same night he's been taken away to be crucified. His circumstances weren't very happy, happy, happy. But he's talking about joy here. If you are grounded in the truth, if you believe the truth of the Scriptures, despite your situations, despite your conditions that you may find yourself in, if you are grounded in truth, you will understand what true joy is. You will be able to overcome those difficulties. And joy is not something that we can manufacture for ourselves. We cannot do that. I mean, you, you can try and listen to some cheerful music, and that might just, for a temporary moment, make you joyful. But it leaves you empty again. You know, other people will try drugs to fill them with joy. And again, it's a, it's a temporary solution. Other people will try, you know, sex to fulfill their lives, to bring them joy and happiness. And maybe for a moment it will. But it's passing. It's fleeting. It's momentarily. Joy is not something we can manufacture. And we read this morning in Psalm 16 what David says about joy. He said in verse 11, In your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. True joy comes when we are in a shared life, when we have fellowship with Christ, with God through Jesus Christ. When our life with other Christians are are rooted in this shared life of God. And this is the life that is the life of joy. We're not designed to be independent lone rangers. And if, I'm sure if you've seen a movie, you'd understand. A lone ranger who rides off on his own, on his own missions, all on his own, without the help of anybody else. We're not designed like that. We are designed as a community. The fellowship, the communion that we enjoy is because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And this life of faith is a life of joy. I know there are false teachers in the church that are telling you that if you really want joy, you need to know this secret, or you need to talk in this particular tongue, or you need to buy this particular product, or you need to wash yourself with this particular oil. That's not what the Bible says. John is saying that fullness of joy is found in mutual fellowship with brothers and sisters who are in Christ, who are united together because of the gospel, who have the same faith in the, in the triune God, who believe the biblical doctrines about who Jesus Christ is. So in conclusion this morning, let me ask you a few questions and then leave you with a challenge. I mean, do you delight in God? Do you delight in God? Do you have fellowship with God the Father through the incarnate Son of God. Do you have that fellowship? Do you delight in God? Do you have a relationship that is what David spoke about? Fullness of joy. Or are you just going through the motions? Is your life empty? Do you feel like you are just being part of a religion for the sake of 
keeping some other people happy? Or do you have that relationship with God? Do you have that joy? We should seek to draw others, of course, into our fellowship to experience this joy. It's not a product we are selling. It's simply a fruit of our relationship with Christ. We want others, of course, to delight in this Savior. We want Him to delight in this in this found joy that we have in God the Father through Jesus the Son. Now, Warren Wiersbe, he wrote in his commentary on this letter, he said, If a true believer is out of fellowship with God, it's usually for one of three reasons. And here are the reasons he said. Number one, he has disobeyed God's will. Number two, he is not getting along with fellow believers. Or number three, he believes a lie and is therefore living a lie. I thought those were very profound. Those are points that we could think upon as we go to the Lord now in prayer. You know, are you delighting in God? Is there something that is stopping you this morning from delighting in God? Are you obeying God's will? Are you being obedient to the Word of God? Or are you following a lie? Or are you believing a lie and living an empty life, chasing after the things of this world that don't matter, that will never fill your life with joy? Even as Christians, we make mistakes. Of course, we do, and sometimes our understanding of truth is, is, is filled with error. And that's why John is writing as the, this aged apostle. He writes to us and he says, Little children, do not deceive yourselves. It's a very loving letter that he's writing to us. He's not condemning us. He's really trying to help us. Help us to be grounded in the truth. Help us to have biblical fellowship with each other and to help us live lives that are full of joy. So this morning I ask you, are you living a life filled with joy? Are you part of this biblical community of faith that John is talking about? And if not, I encourage you and I challenge you, in the next few weeks we'll we'll be starting our members' classes again. Join these membership classes and See what it means to be part of the local church, to be a member of this church. You know, and believers, let's remember, we can never have a joyful fellowship with the Lord as long as sin stands in our way, as long as we are enjoying sin. Until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. So let's examine ourselves this morning, and as we study this, Later in the next month, we will learn more and more how we can have better fellowship with each other and better fellowship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning again for sending Jesus Christ. Thank you for the incarnation. When God became man and dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, so that he could die a perfect death. Not at one point did he sin. Not at one point did he decide that the sacrifice he was to make was too much. But rather he took upon the wrath of God 
so that we could be saved from our sins. Thank you for Jesus Christ this morning. Lord, I pray as we practically work out that truth in the next few weeks, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to apply this in our own church. We pray, Father, that you would help us to grow together as a church because of our unified understanding of the, the, the nature and the characteristic of you, Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. May we grow closer to each other as we grow closer to you, as we study your word, as we submit to the teachings of the apostles so that we would be a biblical church that would honor you, that we would be a biblical church that would bring glory to the name of your dear son. And Father, thank you for that reminder this morning that if we are following truth and we're not believing lies, our lives will be filled with joy. We will know what true joy is. It doesn't mean, Lord, that we'll always be happy, but even through our struggles, even through the circumstances, we will know what joy is because of our faith, because of our biblical faith that is grounded upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you for Jesus again this morning. Thank you for sending him, Lord, that we may have eternal life, that we may live lives on this earth full of joy and not sadness because our Savior lives. He has been resurrected from the dead and he has all power and authority. So help us, Lord, to submit more and more to that authority as we learn together these wonderful truths about our God and King. So bless us this week, we pray, Lord, as we put these truths into practice. For the sake of your great name, we ask. Amen.